Well, last month, uh, Michelle Small and her son Dylan went for a bushwalk in a national park north of Singleton. Hadn't been much rain in the area, so the creek beds were dry. That was bad news for Michelle and Dylan because as they were walking along, they mistook some of the creek beds for their walking tracks. And so they thought they were walking along the track when actually they were drifting further and further away from where they were meant to be going. And of course, before too long, they were lost, completely disorientated in thick, rugged bushland with no way of knowing which way they were meant to go. There's dangers to going for a walk in that kind of country, isn't there? Michelle and Dylan, they thought they'd just gone out for a short walk, so they only had minimal supplies, which meant they were in no way prepared for the ordeal they found themselves in. It was a full 10 days before they were found, pretty dehydrated and starving. Thankfully, otherwise they were fine. Now, as Christians, we're on a long walk of sorts as we make our way to the new creation, keeping our faith in Christ all the way. And chapter 13 of Hebrews is all about making sure we don't get lost or sidetracked because there's plenty of dangers that could lead us away from Christ and Hebrews 13 alerts us to what they are so that we don't lose our way because of them. More than that, it's so that we can eliminate these dangers from our lives, throwing them off, making sure we don't even give them a chance to take a hold of us. To see how this chapter fits in with what we've been seeing over the past few weeks, uh, come back with me to chapter 12 and verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. After reminding us of the men and women in the Old Testament who persevered in their faith, the writer says, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, as we keep our faith in Christ, we're to get rid of everything that will stop us keeping our faith in Christ. It's very similar in chapter 12, verse 15. Chapter 12, verse 15, we looked at this one last week. Verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So we're to make sure that nothing comes up in our lives that will either take ourselves or anyone else away from Christ. So to keep our faith in Jesus, we're to throw off sin and we're to make sure that no bitter root grows up among us. Chapter 13 is how to put this into practice. In chapter 13, the writer alerts us to five dangers, five things that are either sins to hurl out of our lives or possible causes of bitterness and divisiveness, five dangers to us all keeping our faith in Christ. And from what we saw last week, as we thought about, even just in part, how glorious God's kingdom will be and how terrifying his judgment will be, these are dangers we want to be very wary of. So let's look at the first one, and it's the danger of forgetting to love. Chapter 13, verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. 
since we're all following Christ together, we're to make sure that we don't forget to love one another as brothers. And not just the people in our church family that we know well, but strangers too, people we don't know so well. You might have even entertained an angel without knowing it, apparently. I'm not sure what's going on there. And we're also to love well those who would normally be part of our church but can't be with us. So for the original readers, some of their church family had been thrown in prison for following Christ. We know this from chapter 10. And the writer urges the church to not forget them. Remember your brothers in Christ who are in prison. Now, none of us are in danger of being thrown in prison for our faith, but there are, could be other reasons why some of us can't be here. You know, illness is the obvious one. Work might take us away for a time. And we're not to forget to love one another. Because when people get overlooked or forgotten, it can sow a seed of bitterness. When people fall through the cracks... They can resent their church family and it can lead them to walking away, not just from church, but from Christ himself. You probably know people that fit this bill. We don't want that to happen. So if you notice someone is not here this morning, please give them a call during the week. Pop in and visit them. Don't tell someone else about them. You ring them. You call them. But if you feel like you're the one being neglected or overlooked, we're really sorry about that. And please forgive us. But don't let a bitter root grow up in your life. Don't use this to build up resentment or as an excuse to walk away from Jesus. Instead, please hook in with us to see that it doesn't happen to anyone else. Because as a church family, we're to keep on loving each other as brothers. We don't want to be people who come along to church on a Sunday or every second or third Sunday. But other than that, you've got no real involvement in people's lives here. We don't want to be like that. If we're going to love each other as brothers, to see us all keep our faith in Christ, then we all need to own each other as church family. We should all have a significant stake in us as church at nine. For the sake of us all making it to God's kingdom, let's not forget to love one another. To see that we remain in our faith in Christ. The second danger prowling around trying to entice us away from Christ is sexual immorality. This is a hideous and highly effective way of dragging people away from Christ. And we're not to give it even a microscopic chance of taking root in our lives. Verse 4. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Last week we saw something of what it'll mean to be judged by God and it is terrifying. And very clearly sexual immorality is a fast way to get there. God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now you're probably sitting there thinking that, you know, this is something you'll never do. You'd never have sex before marriage or go to a prostitute or have an affair. 
But there are people who have fallen to sexual immorality and are not here today at church with us because of it. They've turned their back on Christ, and if they keep going, they'll fall into God's terrifying judgment. This is real. And for those for whom this is true, there was a day when they used to sit here in church with us, and they thought that they'd never give in to sexual immorality, but come time they did. And we're fools to think that it could never happen to us. It's why the writer includes it. If it was never going to happen, he wouldn't have to write about it. But it can happen. Sadly, it does happen. And so the writer lays it out for us in black and white. God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And so we're to honour marriage and keep the marriage bed pure. Whether it's your own marriage bed or someone else's marriage bed, we're to keep it pure. Have as much sex as you like with your husband or your wife, but we are to have no sexual activity or sexual conversations or touching or flirting or any such thing with someone who is not your husband or wife. Sexual immorality, it is deceptive and attractive. And people do all sorts of mental gymnastics to justify it. Don't be deceived. Sexual immorality is a fast way to make a train wreck of your faith. If you know that you're in danger with this one right now, turn away from it. Today, before it's too late, before it takes a hold of you and sucks the very life out of your belief in Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Cast it aside. Hurl it away from you. Vomit it out of your life. And confess your sin to God. And wash in the cleansing waters of Christ's forgiveness. And then run with perseverance the race of keeping your faith in Christ. The third danger that could lead us away from Christ is the love of money, the desires for other things, the continual want for more. The love of money is again an enticing, alluring, seductive enemy and it can choke your faith in Christ. Verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? Now you don't have to be Einstein, do you, to work out that the love of money is all around us. It's wielded its way into every television and magazine and smartphone and website. All day we're fed the line that wealth creation is all important and it's seductive. Because money is alluring. It promises so much. And for the promise of happiness and luxury and ease and security, people have pursued wealth. The love of money is a powerful drive and it can take over your life. In the New Testament, greed is repeatedly labelled idolatry. 
Jesus said, you can't love both God and money. You have to choose. Don't be deceived. To be gripped by the love of money is to be held hostage, far away from Christ. And so instead, verse 5, we're to be content with what we have. We're to keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have. And did you notice why we're to be content? Verse 5 again, it's because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We're to be content because God will never leave us. Our money will. When Kerry Packer died, he didn't take a cent with him. Not one measly cent could stay with him. At the grave, Kerry Packer was left all alone. Whereas God's promise is that he'll never leave us. Not for all eternity. And with God, we've got the endless riches of salvation and forgiveness, adoption and redemption, eternal life. So what on earth could a few extra dollars offer me to tempt me away from the Lord Jesus? How could even millions of extra dollars entice me to walk away from Christ? When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we realise we've already got everything we need. It's like the words of that old hymn. You remember this one? I won't sing. I'll spare you. (laughs) Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full into his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Is the love of money threatening to choke your faith in Christ? Have you lost sight of the incomparable riches that you already have in Jesus? Turn your gaze back on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep your faith in him, not your money. And so keep your life free from the love of money. Because the love of money will turn you away from Jesus. Now in verse 7, the writer mentions church leaders, godly, faithful leaders of the church who are worth imitating. This becomes important later on when he mentions leaders again in verse 17 and how we're to obey them. So we'll think about leaders when we get to verse 17. For now, from verse 8, the writer moves on to the danger of opposition having to deal with those who will persecute you for your faith in Christ. The danger of people humiliating and insulting and alienating you for following Jesus and so you feel tempted to give up on Jesus. Because when people insult and alienate and humiliate you, the pressure to conform can be very strong. The pressure to distance yourself from Christ, to shrink back from him so you can fit in. For the original readers, this pressure was alive and well. Remember, they were Jewish Christians being heavily pressured to ditch Jesus and go back to Judaism. But the writer urges them and us to remember Christ. Because he doesn't change. His truth, his reality will never change. And so it doesn't matter what others say. Keep your faith in him. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away 
by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Basically, the writer is saying the Old Testament law can't help you. The food regulations and the temple worship, all of that's been done and dusted. Christ has done away with it. So don't go back to Judaism. It's a dead end. Stick with Christ, even if it means being disgraced. Verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Don't conform to the pressure you're under. Don't buckle and go back to Judaism just to fit in. Be willing to suffer disgrace for the sake of Christ, just as he suffered disgrace for you. Don't let opposition move you from your faith in Christ. Now, we're not being tempted to go back to Judaism, but the pressure to conform is alive and well. We can feel the pull, can't we, of compromising on what we know is true in order to fit in. We can feel, of, feel the pull of compromising for the sake of having friends or for avoiding trouble. But brothers and sisters, when we're convinced about the truth and the majesty of Christ that never changes, we'll realise we don't need to fit in here because we don't belong here. Verse 14, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. We're not living for this world. We're living for the world to come, for the new creation. And so in the here and now, when people put the hard word on you to stop being so righteous, when you're told that, you know, it's okay, just look the other way, when you're at a dinner party and you're going to church is the butt of yet another joke, when your faith in Christ is openly mocked and scorned, don't let persecution get the better of you. Don't shrink back from Christ. Don't buckle so you can fit in. Remember, you're not living for here. You're looking forward to the city that is to come. And so, verse 15, through Jesus, therefore... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Opposition to Christ can be daunting, but don't let it steal you away from Christ. Continually, he says, confess his name. Take your stand in Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. The last danger to our standing firm in our faith in Christ is our attitude to our church leaders, the way we relate to those in authority over us here at church. And again, this is something that can easily lead people astray to wander off from following Christ. Cultivating an attitude of disrespect towards our church leaders, that'll cause trouble and division. And we probably all know of people who've given up on Christ because of fractured church leadership and divided church families. And the writer warns us of this danger by urging us to obey and submit to our church leaders to help us all to remain with our faith in Christ. Verse 17. 
obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. As a church family, we're trying to see that we all keep our faith in Christ and so we're to submit and obey our church leaders. Me too. I have to submit to and obey the elders. This is for all of us. And the reason in verse 17 is because our leaders have been given authority. They've got a job to do. And that is, we're told, to keep watch over us. It's their responsibility to help us all to keep our faith in Christ and to fulfil their responsibility. They've been given the authority to carry it out. It's like at work, you know, if you've got a boss and they say to you, it's your responsibility to pay our workers, but they don't give you the authority to clear payments. It's not going to work, is it? For someone to have responsibility, they've got to have the authority to carry it out. It's the same in church. Our church leader's responsibility is to watch over us, we're told. And so they're given the authority to do that. And as they work hard at helping us all to keep our faith in Christ, we're to submit to them and to obey them. And we're to do that in order to make their work a joy. It is completely counterproductive to make our church leader's job a burden. Because the very thing they're trying to do is to help us all stand firm in our faith in Christ. To help us see that that none of us walk away from Jesus. And so as the writer says, it would be of no advantage to you to make their work a burden. Of course not. We all want all of us to be there in the kingdom of God. That's what our church leaders are working towards. And so we work with them. Not against them. And so when our church leaders make a decision that frustrates you or disappoints you, when they don't do things the way that you think they should be done, don't let a root of bitterness grow up inside of you. And don't become a source of trouble. Don't sow seeds of division amongst the church. Don't whinge about our leaders and undermine everything they try and do. Don't let bitterness and resentment grow up amongst us. Because that would be a fast way to distract all of us away from Christ. We'd become a church focused on ourselves and our problems. Where the most important thing to us becomes getting what we want out of church. We could easily lose sight of the main game of helping each other to be living for Christ and keeping our faith in him. We could turn people off Christ altogether. When we get our attitude to our church leaders wrong, it can be disastrous. Instead, we're to help our leaders as best we can as they lead us in keeping our faith in Christ. If you do have a disagreement with our church leaders, let them know. But do so with respect and submission. Because we're to obey our leaders and submit to their authority in order to make their work a joy as they lead us all in keeping our faith in Christ. Now this chapter might be leaving you feeling a little daunted 
you know, all these things we're to do and not do in order to stay Christian and to help everyone else here to keep their faith in Christ. You know, not forgetting to love one another, fleeing sexual immorality, keeping our lives free from the love of money, standing fast in the face of persecution, obeying our leaders. It sounds relentless and exhausting and it's going to take effort. But the truly wonderful news is that we're not in this alone. As we've already seen, God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's right here with us as we strive to live for him. And so in all of this, we're to be trusting our great God to help us. Trusting him to equip us. Trusting him to work in us to keep our faith in his glorious son. And this is exactly where the writer closes his letter. Calling on our heavenly father to do his great work in us. Verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. It's just such wonderful news, isn't it? God equipping us God working in us we want to stand in fasting Christ don't we right the way through these 13 chapters of the letter to the Hebrews the writer has been convincing us that Jesus he's God himself who took on flesh to die for our sins to bring us to God in total acceptance for all eternity of course we want to stand fast in Christ and so it is such good news that God himself is right here with us working in us to bring us safely to himself it is so reassuring and so in that confidence let's take our stand all for Christ for his glory, to see that every single one of us remains with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please give us such clarity of thought as to value Jesus your glorious son, more than anything in this world, more than the fleeting pleasures of this life. Help us to take your word seriously. That, Father, we would honour your son in everything we do and so that in every way we would help one another to remain with our faith in him. Father, for your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.